Moments That Matter. Moments That Matter. Moments That Matter. Moments That Matter. So welcome to this latest edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back. And today, in recognition of Mental Health Month, we're talking to Pat Calabria, who works with Lifeline, and he has a fascinating story which he shares with us here. He's came from the Newcastle Knights Rugby League Club into Lifeline, and he has a really unique insight on mental health, not only in regards to sharing the message of Lifeline and the services that it provides, but also around areas like the importance of self-care and how to deal with people, whether you're in a manager situation or as a friend, how to best help people if they are struggling from time to time with their mental health. And I think the most important message of this podcast is really about ways that we can all work together to change the conversation around mental health and really start to look at it on the same plane as your physical health and even things like occupational health and safety from a workplace point of view. So a lot to cover today, let's get to it. And I'm really excited to bring this one to you. I hope you enjoy this conversation today with Lifeline's Pat Calabria. So, Pat, thanks for joining me today. Now, I normally start these Moments That Matter podcasts by asking people to just give me a rundown of their career to date and, and what's brought them to this moment. So what, what's the Pat Calabria story to date? Look, mate, um, I started working with Lifeline here in the Hunter just over two years ago. Previous to that, I was working with the Newcastle Knights as a corporate manager for about five years. And I guess I um, worked around, uh, I guess, high-profile athletes and, and, and saw how their mental health could change, uh, especially in how they work with their mental health and physical health as well. And then sort of around the time of COVID uh, sort of coming into play, seeing uh, a lot of change in family and friends, et cetera. And uh, I really, the opportunity for Lifeline came up and it was something I thought I could really assist with. And I uh, was really interested in the space. And uh, look, it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made in terms of uh, being able to help our community. So, Yeah, I remember, was it Craig Hamilton was the uh, the ABC caller in Newcastle? I mean, was he involved in that, in that side of it as well, from your memory, uh, of the Newcastle Knights? And I guess more broadly, how, how does, the, does you, the way you approach people within that sort of a sporting environment differ to the way you would um, approach them about mental health in the general community? Craig was about to call the Olympics when you hear Craig's story, and and he had a, a bit of a um a, an episode with his mental health on uh, on Broadmeadow train station. It's an amazing amazing story to to hear of Craig's and and his journey since then. But but I guess with anyone, uh, I don't, I don't think it differs whether you're a whether a professional athlete, uh, if you're a celebrity, or or whether you're uh, your, yourself, to be honest, um, everyone goes through the same sort of thing, and your mental health is something we experience every single day. It can be the highs, the lows, the uh, the, the happies, the, the, the cries, and, and, and all that in between. So people experience this in different ways, but at the same time, it, it generally all just comes back to, to what we're feeling and what, what we experience and, and the way that we practice our own uh, self-care and, and, and look at our own decisions. Yeah, certainly I'd encourage anyone to go and look up Craig Hamilton's story because it's a, it's a really inspiring story and it's it's good to see someone like that in the sporting arena and, and that you might know of to show the sort of vulnerability and, and openness that he has. But just more broadly, and I think you've sort of touched on, on a couple of those areas there, but we'll, we'll start 
this sort of general conversation with a basic key question for the episode. And how would you define and describe mental health? Because I'm probably guilty of it myself, where we talk about mental health in very general terms. How would someone like yourself who works in that space define mental health? I'll probably start that, to be honest, Darren, with how, how most people describe mental health. And that that's a fear of something. They As soon as the word mental health comes up, people run away from the subject. Mental health, is, as I said before, is what we go through every single day. We, we make decisions that impact our mental health the same way that we make decisions every single day that impact our physical health. What you do to your body, what you feed your body with, all the rest of it leads to your physical health, can also lead to your mental health. What we what we choose to do with exercise, uh, what we choose to do with decisions, social media, all these different bits and pieces can very much impact the way that our mental health operates in, in a short amount of time on Facebook or, or any of the uh, the social media, I guess, platforms, you can take in a, a ton of information that can send you from happy to sad to angry, etc., in, in very short periods of time. And that that in some cases is not is not good for our mental health. But but overall, as I said, it, it is part thereof, the happy, the sad and sort of everything in between that we can experience. And and that's, uh, that, that's it, I guess, in a nutshell of where we need to look at trying to find that medium in the middle. We don't want to be on the high end continually because um, that can form like addiction. And we don't want to be on the low end at some times because that can form depression. So, And I mean, in terms of, I guess, just changing the conversation around this, because, I mean, you compare it to your physical health. And I, I remember I came out and played AFL nines after a few years of not doing a heck of a lot of physical activity a couple of years ago and I had no problem telling everyone that would listen just how sore I was and, and how <laughs> unfit I was going back but yet if I'm having a struggle from a mental health point of view I'll, I'll generally keep that to myself and I won't be as open about it. Is, it. is it a matter of trying to change the conversation where people are just as comfortable to say I'm not ashamed to admit I'm a bit sore after playing AFL 9s or a few years off that I'm, I'm not uh, you know, I'm not frightened of talking about, well, I'm not having a great day today. I think I think we've had a, a very bad stigma around mental health for many years. I, I can take it back to, to my father's generation that uh, mental health was sort of seen in a way that if you had some sort of mental illness or, or something wrong with your mental health, that their first thought was that you're basically going to be put into hospital or something like electroshock therapy or something that, that, that would be the answer for you, which the... I guess the way that mental health has been treated probably over the last 10 to 15 years, there's been massive changes in the way that workplaces, community, families, etc., view mental health. And maybe more so in the last few years since COVID, that's really come to the forefront that people are really starting to speak about their mental health, especially with their younger generation. We're trying to just break down those stigmas, especially in blokes, because men don't talk. We're always in this position where we sort of say, tomorrow's going to be a better day, or if I, if I have a tablespoon of concrete and get on with it, it's going to be fine. But the problem is if we keep offloading ourselves with this stuff, at some point our glass is going to overfill and that's uh, that's the general nature of how we uh, end up with, with our mental health that starts to suffer. And we need to we need to break down those walls and those barriers and start speaking again. And when I, when I do a lot of mental health chats, Darren, with, with different corporate and community groups, I often ask them if they remember their home phone number from when they were a kid. The majority of them say, yeah, I do. And the, the first question I ask them after that is like, how long did you spend on the phone when you were doing that? And most people respond an hour or two hours, et cetera. It was with your mates, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever. And you were uh, in that time, you were depacting a lot of stuff. You just wanted to stay on the phone and chat. And that was looking after your mental health. These days, what do we do? We uh, we jump on there and basically send someone a text and go, do you want to meet up for lunch or do you want to do this or do you want to do that? And the second we get there, they're pulling their phone back out again. So 
Yeah, it's a different world, and we've got to try and navigate that in different ways for people now because things have changed. And I mean, is that in your experience the most common barrier for people seeking help? I guess not not realising that mental health exists on the continuum and maybe waiting until they're at the very uh, raw end of that mental health continuum before they go and seek assistance. Oh, 100%, mate. I hear continually, and it's one of the saddest parts of my day, Pat. I'm not well, but I'm not bad enough to call Lifeline. Mm. Um, my response straight away is, when are you bad enough to call Lifeline? Because that's, that's uh, I guess, one of the preconceptions that, that aren't there, that aren't people aren't understanding, I guess. And what we do, we're obviously very much synonymized with suicide and basically being a suicide prevention organisation. But at the same time, we're there for when you're having a bad day. Uh, if your boss is yelled at, if the kids are blowing up, if you're, if you're having your problems with your partner, if your financial difficulties, to anything, you can reach out and have a chat to someone. Like carrying that burden is the hardest part that leads to any, uh, I guess, change in your mental health from there when, we, when we're trying to hold all this stuff inside and think that it's, it's going to be dealt with by just just hoping that it goes away. And, and it's the same thing with their physical health. If, if you've got a broken arm, you can't go on with the day and just ignore it and hope that it magically fixes itself. At some point, we need to address why it's happening and how it's happening and, and find the right response to make sure that we can uh, uh, deal with that in the, in, in the proper manner. And what, I mean, talk me through what sort of uh, conversations would, would happen on Lifeline. Like if if someone is, let's say, just not having a great day and they call up Lifeline and they, and they sort of meet them in the more middle areas, if you like, where they're sort of moving into the, the struggling areas, that mental health continuum. What does the support look like and what would a conversation on Lifeline look like at that stage? Lifeline takes no details when you call us. You're, you're completely anonymous. When you call up, you'll, you'll hear on the other end of the line, uh, hello, it's Lifeline. What, what's going on? How can I help you? That's, I guess, the beauty of it. You have someone there to listen to what you want to say. They're not there to offer you advice. They're not there to tell you what to do. They're there to uh, to really listen to what the problem is that you're experiencing in that moment and sit in the mud with you. And that that's why they're there. They're actively listen um, and to help you to start to problem solve yourself as well. And really, I guess, depack what, what's going on that's causing you these feelings, whether they be anxious or, 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 or depression or anything further. And look, we do take obviously a lot of calls around people that have thoughts of suicide, et cetera. And, we, we have many ways of, of working through that by creating safe pathways for people and 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 safe plans, et cetera, uh, uh, for what happens there as well. So th there's a very broad scope there, Darren, of what we can do to assist people. But I guess the one thing, as I want to reiterate, and is that it is very much anonymous. There, there is no taking of details for anyone that calls up. And I think, I mean, coming into Mental Health Month, it, it really is important and incumbent upon us to, to look at, well, how can we break down this stigma? How can we change the conversation i mean what what would your ideas be in terms of you know ways we can start to change people's thinking around this uh to view their mental health in line with their physical health and understand that there's there's no problems if you are moving in the, the sort of more struggling areas of that mental health continuum and then seeking help at that stage i think i think the first step in anything is always the oxygen marks uh mask principle we've got to be Good within ourselves first before we can help others. It's always a difficult thing to take on more problems than what we can possibly deal with uh, in, in a lot of these cases. And that, that number one is practicing probably a bit of self-care and, and realising when our own mental health may be changing. The, the second part to that, and, and we've just obviously left that, was are you okay day? Um, I, th I think that brings up a lot in terms of what we can do for people. Uh, to ask someone if they're okay, most people are going to turn around and say, yeah, I'm, I'm good. 
I guess the thing is it might take you 10, 12, 14 times to ask someone if they're okay before you get a different response in some cases. And that's a trust build over time and everything else. We've got to understand that some people's journeys take longer than others to, to share the problems that are going on or to have that trust um, with someone. But then now I guess then there's the general fear of what happens when I ask someone that question and they say, what if I'm not okay? And then that's where we can assist people with a lot of different um, things that they can do, including like number one, it's active listening. It's, it's it's sitting down and being in the moment. And as I mentioned before, sitting in the mud with that person and listening to their story, repeating back to them the things that they're saying so that they can get a clear understanding of what's coming through from themselves. Because a lot of us, when we speak, we'll just sit there and sort of, I guess, get it all off our chest, but not really realise the things that are coming out. So if we repeat back to someone, okay, I hear that you're feeling this, or I, I see that you're going through this, it, it does start them in a mode of thinking. I guess, where, where can I problem solve myself? But the other tip or trick that I sort of want to uh, make people aware of, and most people don't think of this is, and I encourage anyone that's listening to this podcast, is to put this 13, 11, 14 number in your phone, and it's not for you. It, it is for when you find yourself in that situation that we sort of call an accidental counsellor, where you've asked someone if they're okay, and they've turned around and said no, and you, you've fallen into that position where you become a counsellor. One thing you can do is ask, can you make a phone call together to Lifeline? And, and, and basically, then you can become the support that puts your arm around that person and looks after them, but you've taken the onus off yourself. They're then speaking through with one of our counsellors about what's going on, etc., and and you don't carry, I guess, that burden of what do I say or what do I do next. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, I must admit, I've never even thought about that myself when you do get in those situations. But how often would that happen where you get some, you know, a third party ringing on behalf of the person who is struggling? Look, it's become a lot more common probably over the last couple of years since we've been speaking about it. COVID really spiked our um, our, our call rates during that period. We, we experienced a 30% increase in, in, in service demand over there. And that was one of the, that's something we've been doing previous, but we've really been trying to, um, I guess, explain to people, especially through isolation, then that's definitely an option for people and, and to support their, their family, friends and co-workers. It's, it is common, Darren, to be honest. One of the other issues that we we come across is that people sort of, I guess, view one of the stigmas is people view people that have uh, mental health issues as, oh, that's your fault or it's your problem or it's something that you've got to work through and you just need to snap out of it. I mean, do you sort of see those attitudes in your work and how do we overcome those views uh, that people may hold around mental health? It's a really difficult one. A lot, of, a lot of it stems from, and you'll generally find with a lot of people that sort of do say that, um, that they don't believe that mental health is a thing. Um, the, the difficult bit is the, the majority of Australians at some point in their life will experience a, a, a change or a, an issue with their mental health, whether that be something like anxiety or depression, etc. But to, to be able to break down that signal, it's a difficult thing. I've, I've done many talks where uh, we've had people in the room that didn't want to be there. And by the end of that chat, we're sitting down and, and having a coffee together afterwards. And they're like, everything you've spoken about today, Pat, I've actually been through in my life and I actually do need to go and see someone to sort out some of the other things. I think there's a lot of common misconceptions, especially these days with workplaces, that if you express that if you have a uh, any issues with your mental health, that they, they will turn into a micromanage or, or maybe a performance managed situation where they'll try and get rid of you. That's not the case. Uh, most workplaces these days are extremely accommodating in, in, in the terms of looking after their staff and wanting them to have the best uh, performance for them. and when it comes down to it, to, to see a counsellor or a psychologist once a week or once every couple of weeks for an hour is, is much better than having someone running at 20% the entire time and, and, and feeling 
in a uh, in a depressive or, or or anxious state while they're at work, and that's where, yeah, as I said, like a lot of a lot of employers, a lot of different groups are coming around to that idea. And uh, yeah, I, I encourage anyone to speak to their HR or the general managers about this sort of stuff because you'll find that most of them have an EAP or chaplain or something that's there on site to be able to offer in in terms of support. And if there's not, there's always us or there is Beyond Blue and and other organisations out there that do have lines available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That, that people can speak to. Here in Newcastle, we've got free face-to-face -face and video counselling available for people with no GP referral. At the moment, the average wait to see a psychologist in the Hunter is, from what I'm understanding, months. We're, we're triaging people and seeing them within um, 48 hours at, at present. So, and that's at no cost, especially with things that are going on, I guess, in the, in the financial sort of sector at the moment for people with current RBA rises and, and cost of fuel going up and groceries, et cetera. It's, it's one less burden that they have to have on themselves or their family. So yeah, there's certainly options out there for people and, and, and breaking down that stigma is always going to be a difficult one, but it comes with us talking about it. We've been working on a, on a program with an organisation that put together an initiative called Everyone Has a Story. And it was about aligning mental health and physical health together in the workplace. And when you look back on the physical health nature of, of, of most, say, mining manufacturing type businesses 15, 20 years ago, for them to put on PPE gear and go to work, it was a, it was a pushback from a lot of them going, oh, I'm safe, I don't need to do this sort of stuff. And these days they get up in the morning, they do it without a hassle and it's just part of the day. And every time there's, there's a physical workplace change, it's just accepted in most cases. And now it's time, especially after what we've been through with COVID and all the rest of it, it's time to bring mental health into that light and Mm. align it because someone who is having a bad day or struggling with their mental health, they, they, they need the same sort of assistance as somebody needs who's struggling with their physical health. It, it can cause the same sort of workplace accidents, it can cause the same sort of problems and we don't want to see our friends or family struggling. If somebody with a broken arm is trying to lift up a heavy box, you're going to go over and help them. So if somebody's yeah. struggling with their mental health, we should be over there to lift them up, not to put them down and say, well, well you can get over it, move on. You, you well, can't get over a broken arm in a day. I think Exactly. And I think from a professional point of view, we need to now look, and, and this is what, what we've really been driving at Balance to Life, is have mental health and wellbeing now on the same plane as, as what safety is, workplace health and safety. Because, you know, a lot of workplaces, I mean, we work in the health sector, we work in, in, in the sort of blue collar sectors, and we're, you know, safety 20 years ago, they wouldn't have had their toolbox safety meetings every morning. You know, now it's just second nature. So we you know, start talking about mental health and well-being within those uh, areas of your work and just have that to be the, the sort of second nature as well and, and, and embed it within the work practices. I mean, is that the sort of, you know, is that the future you'd like to see uh, in the workplace? That's a future I think we can see coming down. It's pretty much inevitable that that's happening already, but it needs to happen in a bigger way. It, just, it needs to be accepted that, that the mental health is on the same playing field as physical health. And that is that is the direction, but it's taken a lot of time to get there. And as I said, I think COVID's given that, that extra nudge that people really did feel isolated and lonely over that period of time because things were taken away from us and things were limited in what you could do. And we missed family or we missed birthdays or we missed Christmases or Easter's or any of those sort of bits we took for granted, holidays. And that's not the nature of us as human beings. We're, we're, we're a pack animal that wants to be together and, and do things together and experience things together. And to do that alone is, is a very difficult thing. And then when we look at 
the, the workplaces, et cetera, with, as I said, like with physical, uh, with the physical nature of how things are and, and now to take on the, the, the mental health side. There's a lot of businesses out there that need to write mental health plans and all the rest of it just to get contracts and, and, and do these sort of things going forward because you, you need a, a workforce that's going to be there and what happens if there's something that happens on site with someone and it's as bad as COVID was, it was probably the best thing it did was bring mental health into the actual for, uh, into the forefront that people can uh, recognise it in, in a, probably a lot more than they did in the past that it exists and, and we really need to look after each other. And I think obviously it, it, it brings it forward as a very real and present risk uh, to, to completing projects or to, to your business's productivity and KPIs, etc. I mean, just digging a little bit further on the professional side of things. So let's say we're, I'm, I'm working at the moment, I'm in a really stressful situation. We're short-staffed. Maybe the staff that are in are not as experienced and I just know I'm going to have a stressful and, and really, really busy day. And someone suggests to me, well, why don't you call Lifeline or the AP as a means of helping that? And the first thing you think is I'm not going to have time to, to talk to someone on the phone or my, my day's already sort of gone pear-shaped. Where can Lifeline and those sort of EAP services help someone in that situation when, you know, no matter what happens, it's going to be a difficult day at work, but you need some extra support uh, to help you get through from that mental health point of view? I think that comes down to practising self-care. That's that's probably something we're starting to touch on earlier. And look, we're all, we're all busy in one way or another. That's just the, the nature of most people these days. And I'm, I hate to swing back to COVID again, but it, it's made us more accessible than ever in terms of being able to do things via Zoom and Teams and all the rest of it. You can have a meeting at any point where before you could kind of sort of plan your days out and, and have some time there. But look, I, I feel that We've got to make time to do these things for ourselves. And, and the average phone call to Lifeline is about 17 minutes for most people. If it's a counselling appointment, you're looking at about an hour. For most people with an EAP to organise an appointment, same thing. And one thing for most people too that are listening, like uh, with your EAP, it's not something that your organisation finds out. You're listed as a number, not as an individual. They won't turn up and go, well, Pat, when and saw the EAP. It, it will literally be a number, so they can't find out what you've spoken about or do anything else. Because that's always been a barrier when people speak about EAP is they're very worried about their employer finding out the things that they've said. I guess it, it, you got to find that time. You really got to find that time. I, I, I think that we all need to start to work out our own work-life balance and we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it as well. I was speaking with my team the other day about how bad I was that week with my own work-life balance and it's starting to recognise these things. And that's the way that we get better with our mental health. We don't keep going down the same path until it burns us out. We, we make some changes when we start to see these things. And if, if that requires making a phone call to the AAP or Lifeline, then it's factoring some time to do that. Well, and I think from our experience, when we're seeing some stigma attached to EAPs and, and Lifeline as a bit of a box ticking exercise, particularly from a manager's point of view. So if a, a staff member comes to a manager and says, look, I'm having a panic attack just coming to work every day and I'm really struggling, they're hesitant to just say, well, here, I call the EAP and, and sort of be done with it. And because I think in their mind, the staff member thinks, well, I'm just fobbing you off and, and there's, I'm checking that box and I've done my due diligence on that type of thing. How would you advise a manager to deal with that situation? I mean, was it like what we talked about earlier and say, look, do you mind if we actually call the AP together or maybe they wouldn't want to do that in the professional sense? But 
how would you advise a, a manager to deal with that sort of a situation in terms of promoting an EAP or a lifeline? I, I think you've got to give the employee or the person that you're dealing with the option of, of doing that together and saying that, look, if you're happy to give me a signal or ask me to leave the room, like that, at that point, I'm happy to go and do that. that. The hardest part for most people is just to pick up that phone and make that phone call, especially when they're in that position. You're fine with anyone that sort of is in a very anxious or depressive state, and especially the first time they've been through that, that it's very confusing and the next steps are very difficult and they don't know where to go or what to do. And this is what also makes it very hard with when they've got to go and see a GP and do a mental health plan, et cetera, to, to be able to see a psychologist that generally that could be anywhere between 30 to 30 minutes to an hour of answering a lot of questions about your mental health. You don't know the answers to, you are just, scared and unaware of where you are right now and what's going on in your life and what's causing these sort of feelings and you, you, I think we've got to as managers start to understand that that might be well that is clearly probably where the staff are at at that point and and offer them as much assistance as we possibly can and go from there and, and try and ease their any of their fears of we can do this together or would you like me to go and get somebody else to come in here that you feel comfortable with to try and make that call if they if they're happy to do that and just lay the options out on the table and, and, and make it a safe workplace, an environment where they feel happy to uh, to basically be able to share or, or, or to be able to be uh, a little bit vulnerable at the time and, and, and get the things off their chest and get the right help that they need at that period. Well, and I mean, to your point earlier, so I mean, if someone comes to a manager and says, oh, I've cut my finger, uh, and you know the fingers nearly falling off the hand or whatever. Well, they're going to take some time out of the workplace, aren't they? To go and sew that up or do whatever they need to do with it. So you've got to find time when you're dealing with those mental health issues. You need to find time in the day to actually give this person the assistance that they need, don't you? Well, that's the thing. If you, if you do have these things, there's always generally in most corporations, especially blue collar ones, they definitely will have it some sort of map or swims etc things that'll be set up for what happens if somebody injures themselves it is literally a guide of what you've got to follow in that process of what happens and that'll be triaging the problem and then basically contacting uh, whether it's necessary an ambulance or taking this person to hospital or, or doing all these sort of things and we need to look at that in the same way for mental health what what does our managers do when someone presents with mental health and and these are these this is the scenario like i think it really does come down to, to the company or to I guess the organisation to look at what are we equipping our people with to be able to have these conversations or to uh, provide the employees with the best possible training, et cetera, to make sure that they can, they're equipped to handle this situation. Is there a clear plan with options in it built in to go, okay, if this person presents with this, this is what we do. And that's the hard bit. As we said before, what happens when someone says they're not okay? Most people don't know what the next step is or are very afraid of what that next step is. So um, that's where we try and work with a lot of the corporate and community groups around trying to give people enough information to make that situation a lot more comfortable where they can, as I said earlier, sit in the mud with someone and not feel like that they're overburdened and they can turn around and go, I've provided the best help I possibly can. We know this person's now gonna get the best assistance and I can kind of get on and practice my own self-care. And I think, I mean, the point that I often make too is that the depression and, and the black dog, if you want to look at it in those terms, really thrives in silence. And the more we talk about these things and the more we bring it to light, that sort of sheds light on it. And, and that's the one thing that helps. And I remember when uh, the, the tragic situation happened with Paul Green, 
uh, only a couple of months ago now, I put out a post, everyone said, look, just go through your phone on the weekends and maybe do it across a month and just scroll through your phone and find someone that you maybe haven't spoken to for a while and just reach out and touch base with them. And to your point earlier, when you had your phone back in the day and we used to talk a lot on the phone, it, it is, it's good for your mental health and it's also good for the other person's mental health as well. I mean, how important is it to just to, to, to do nothing else than to sit in that moment and talk about how you're feeling uh, as, as often as you can? Oh, look. I, I challenge anyone listening the next time they go out to have a look around the restaurant, the cafe, the hotel, wherever they are, and see the people that are actually engaging in a conversation and the other one doesn't have their phone out. Um, it, it, it is a huge challenge for you. And, and honestly, if people think about it, actually sit there for an hour and have a conversation with someone without touching your phone. Uh, it, it, it is very difficult in most cases for a lot of people, but to be in that moment and actually listen to someone and for them to feel that you're listening, like that, like you're listening to them, uh, is an extremely empowering thing for people. They they build trust and they build a very safe, um, I guess, relationship with someone. And they can they can share more, and that's what we used to have back when I was speaking about that sort of um, I guess scenario with the home phone. Is we used to be able to just talk and talk and talk, but we trusted that the person on the other end of the line was listening because we couldn't see them, and that that conversation would keep going. And it was that is what we need to rebuild again with a lot of people. Is is how do we as you mentioned, the black dog lives in a dark space, and it, it does. When you speak about people like Paul and, and other people that I hear of when I, when I speak with community, et cetera, that have lost people to suicide, and they always say, Pat, we didn't know it was coming. It, it is that difficult part of, especially as men, we need to start to share when these things are overwhelming or overburdening or, or, or getting to a point where it's uh, it's too much for us and, and these thoughts are starting to creep in and there's no shame in that. There shouldn't be a, a fear that people are going to turn on us or, or, or do anything that, that's going to be hard because look, the end result is going to be much worse. So look, I, I encourage anyone to start talking and, and as you said, pick up the phone and, and literally talk to someone you haven't talked to in a while or talk to a mate you spoke to yesterday that you feel might not be in the best possible spot when you spoke to them. Just ask that question again. Are you okay? And, and mm. see see if their answer changes from the day before. Yeah, look, I think communication is the num number one thing that needs to uh, basically be rehashed to, to break down these stigmas. Well, no, I think it's interesting you look at the stigmas because I think there are some generational differences where you've got the sort of millennials and, and Gen Z and Gen X who are probably more comfortable talking about their mental health in line with their physical health, but they're also much more sort of addicted to this sort of phone technology uh, as well, which, which is contributing, you know, to some of the issues I think around mental health. I mean, how do we sort of walk that balance, I guess? We, we need to get the older generation to think about mental health uh, like the, the younger generation, and but maybe get the younger generation off their phones. I mean, is that the useless uh, the similar way? I'd say that if we could pick a bit out of every generation and put them all together, we'd have the perfect person. <laughs> it's um, we've all every generation's got its flaws when it comes to mental health, and um, I think I think you've got a couple of the stereotypes there right. Younger people have been probably more proactive in in talking about their mental health and and pushing these things, but probably do some of the things that are absolutely the worst for their mental health out of everybody. The, the the baby boomer sort of generation still is it does struggle with the whole stigma of mental health and and things and that's that's probably a harder one as well and then there's the in between and as I said look mental health has been a constantly changing thing over many years and 
probably in the last 15 to 20 years, that's probably when it's been brought more to the to the front, and especially over the last three. And yeah, well, it's 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 a very difficult one at the end of the day because society will keep changing, and we've got to roll with that. And I've always said to to my team that I work with here, like no day will be like the day before because whatever whatever changes in the world changes the way that we we have to react and and be proactive with what we do in our roles. And if any of us thought for two seconds at uh, <laughs> the end of 2019, we're going to wake up in 2020 and go through something like COVID, it, it, just, it was a game changer. And, and in that time, we've been through fires, we've been through floods, we've been through more floods, we've been through more fires and, and another wave of COVID. And now now we're sort of going through the financial difficulties for a lot of people that are, that are dealing with all these things. And that, that's an ever-changing thing on how do we address people's mental health on that because they're all different scenarios and they're all different things that people are experiencing or going through that that change that and that mixed with just modern day pressures of things like work and alcohol and drugs and financial side of things and, and all the rest of it gambling are just common things and then obviously bringing mental illness into the picture as well so there's no one size fits all, Darren, as we know, but I think mm. I think the first step, as we mentioned earlier, is just to really start these communication lines within each other. And as I said, let's let's lift people up around us. The more mm. we can do that, the more that they can trust us, the more that we can show them that they are doing a great job in life and 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 really we're there to support them through whatever they're going through. That that's that's our jumping off point to to really get in the right space with this. And I mean, it, where, where does Lifeline fit into that? So what, what's the future like? So if, if we're getting to the right point in the, so the next 10 years or so of mental health, where do you see Lifeline's uh, role in, in pushing that forward? We, we, we're doing everything possible. And like I said, like the last three years, we've had so much change. We honestly can't even keep up with what's been happening in the community. But at the same time, as I said, we, we broke, we've broken a national call record, I think, nine times in, in, in the past two years. Uh, most recently was New Year's Day. I think it was 3,726 calls in one day uh, to the national network, which is huge. It's a call every 30 seconds to someone reaching out for help. We're currently sort of sitting in a position where we're over 3,000 calls a day, so we're still very busy in, you know, on those phones. People often say it, it, that that's a bad thing. Uh, I think that's a great thing that people are reaching out for help. It's, it's not great that people are struggling, but at least they're being proactive and, and reaching out and having a, a chat, not taking that through their day or taking that home to their partners or, or their kids or or, or or sitting in isolation by themselves with no one to speak to. And look, for us, the, the hope is that people just keep reaching out and, and keep speaking with, with our counsellors and our, and our crisis supporters and finding the best pathway for them to, to basically keep their mental health in the best and healthiest position that they possibly can. I think ideally, I mean, the calls would go right up and then, and then maybe come back down again as people get their own sort of self-care skills and open up and, and we can actually have those, a, a lot of the conversations you may need to be having at Lifeline now, we can have them within the community and, and Lifeline um, is still there as a resource, but, but we can have more, uh, I guess, honest and, and open conversations uh, within our own, within the people we interact with in their own communities. Well, that's right. Once once we've got some of these skills, it makes it uh, a lot easier, basically, to have the conversations with with others. But um, I, I know many people that I, I deal with um, all the time that will be active in the community, talking with people and helping them with their mental health. But they will still use Lifeline. I think is a bit of a a, a tune up sort of thing to to check in and make sure that uh, they're in the right space. The same as we go and get get a check out at the GP or or whatever to just get some stuff off our chest and and, and make sure that we feel 
good in, in what we're doing and how we're going forward and just having someone to someone to speak to at, at points where maybe we don't want to share that with, with somebody we're closer with or maybe there isn't that sort of person around right now or, or, or someone there. So there's many ways to use that. Uh, but we've, as I, I think the underlying fact is we've got to really start looking at, at our mental health in, the, in that same respect that we show our physical health. And I mean, in in essence, you know, I don't know if Lifeline, you think of it as the gym, but like going and just sort of working on your mental health in that way uh, and, and mm. having something constant that you do within your within your routine. Oh, 100%. And we speak about that all the time, especially with people. Like we, we deal with a lot of gyms, et cetera. And when I do some chats with them and a lot of these are, uh, men and women and etc go there four five six times a week to to the gym and i say well how often do you look after your mental health and most of them look at me blankly and i go well what sort of self-care do you do do you do any mindfulness or things that can look after yourself or practice anything sort of outside of here and um, when we start to suggest a lot of stuff and then talk about times and taking 10 minutes a day for yourself just as a sort of a baseline a lot of people don't realize that they don't do it that's that's the difficult part like we we think we've got to we've got to do something for our physical health or we've got to eat right and do all that and that 100 percent that is important but we should also be taking just a little bit of time every day and uh i guess ground ourselves and make sure that we're in tune with with how our mental health is feeling and, and how we're going forward with that because we don't want to um we don't want to overburden ourselves and we don't want to end up in the position of burnout so and i think understanding too, there are a number of different ways you can self-care like the same as if you're going to do some physical activity like you can go for a walk and go for a run you can go to the gym there's a number of different ways you can look after your self-care and there's things like you know connecting to your purpose at work uh you know do having a mindful moment you know having a meaningful interaction with someone in your workplace there's so many different ways that you can do that and it's just getting in the those habits, those right habits of doing it on a day-to-day -day basis uh, that we really need to get across to people. Oh, 100%. I remember when I was at the Knights, we had a we had a speaker in Hugh who basically is the, um, he wrote and put together the Resilience Project. I don't know if you've, you've seen that or if any of your listeners have heard of the Resilience Project. If not, check it out. It's really interesting. But one of the key principles that he sort of challenged um, the team to and, and, and a lot of the staff, et cetera, that were there was to, um, to write down three things a day that you're grateful for for 28 days mm. and the the trick to it was you couldn't write down the same thing twice so i think you start off real quick and you're going oh i'm pretty pretty grateful for my kids and my partner and my uh, my house and my food and my job and all that but the problem is by the time you get to day 10 you'd run out of like just commonalities that you're sort of writing down so you had to start looking for things outside of your day-to-day -day. and that's where we start to i guess train our brain into seeing like the positives in the world and being mindful and being present in the actual moment of where we are because the majority of us run on autopilot for most things most days and we, we miss a lot of stuff that's going on around us so there's a lot of different things you can do like that 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 really make a huge difference um in, in the way we can retrain our brain and look at things in a different light and bring that mindfulness and empathy sort of feelings back back to ourselves well, yeah, one of the things that I do is try and think about something I'm looking forward to doing in the day. First thought when you get out of bed, don't go and check the phone, nothing like that. Mm. Think about what you're looking forward to doing today. And it's amazing 
the difference it has in just your morning routine to just sort of get up and about and then get moving for the day. So I think that's another one of our challenges, though, to really get people to understand there's so many different ways you can start that those practices of self-care that maybe people aren't even thinking of, but will have, uh, to your point about what happened at the nights, there's a real meaningful impact um, mm. on your mental health and well-being. Well, that's it. And that, that's the thing. And, and as you've just described there, Darren, that's the sort of stuff that uh, that really does change our, our mental health and gets us in a more positive mind frame. Like for most people, if you've got a big holiday coming up overseas or somewhere in Australia, et cetera, you're really looking forward to that. You're counting down. Like imagine a kid counting down to Christmas. Like you see that joy in their face and all the rest of it. And that's that's a positive mindset towards something mm -hmm. that's coming up. And uh, we've we've got to find that again within ourselves and 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 really start to to look at what what brings me some happiness outside of as I said before the autopilot that we live in every day because for most of us we get up in the morning we have our breakfast we put on our work clothes we have our showers etc and drive to work the same way and probably get coffee at the same spot and 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 do a job that while there may be some changes is, is essentially pretty much the same day in day out with the same people and go home and you have your dinner and you do it all over again like Groundhog Day and uh, without trying to find the the happies and the joys and the, and the bits and the pieces inside that, it, it can become in a way that um, can lead to burnout and, and and very much stress and anxiety sort of accompanying that. So, and, and those sort of the tools and those sort of activities and exercise, that's the sort of cancelling, if you like, that Lifeline would provide in addition to sort of listening to people and then sitting down in the mud with them, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah, definitely. Like I've I've uh, I've, I've had people that have rang life while they've spoken to me, and uh, one of the one of the tips and things would be just to to go outside and basically take your shoes off and 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 put your feet and plant your feet in the grass, and just be there for two seconds and and be in the moment, uh, and, and really just be one with what's going on. There's there's multiple different bits and pieces you can do, but it, it's really just for five seconds taking that time for yourself. And being being present in your own moment and, and practicing that self care that's that's probably one of the most important things that we need to start to realize right now because people have been through a lot and to keep taking on more and more and more as as, as time progresses without sort of dealing with it it can only lead to one way and that that that's sadly that's going to be I guess a decline in our mental health. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, as you said that, I looked outside and thought, if I put my feet in the grass at the moment, I'm going to be definitely down in the mud because it hasn't stopped <laughs> raining here. For the There's last... nothing wrong with having some mud between your toes there, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, it was funny. We went to a, uh, a concert and one of our first live events outside of COVID uh, earlier this year, and, and I think Xavier Rudd was playing the last act, and it just put, bucketed down with rain. And we just said, you know what, we're not going to look for shelter. We're just going to stand here in the rain and let it wash over us, listen to the great music. And I'll tell you, we never felt so alive, particularly coming out. It was not long after lockdown. And mm. I thought, you know, you do do things like that that really just make you feel alive. And, and uh, you know, we, we were sort of walking on the air for the next week or so after that. Yeah, 100%. I, I've, got, I've had a similar experience up there as well. And we were seeing live up there and the exact same thing happened. And... We didn't move. We just chucked the uh, chucked the jackets over the top of the head and experienced the rain. And yeah, it was a great concert. And this is this is exactly how you and I are talking right now. And this is how the healthy conversations start. Like to have that chat with someone, whether it be a, a coworker or a friend, etc., and, and to bring up these sort of points. And this is what made me feel good. And they go, mm -hmm. Oh, I've done that too. 
it gives you a commonality that you can start a really good healthy conversation about and bring some joy by remembering something that was great as we were talking about before tips and tricks and things for people to try and work with those around their mental health you've nailed one right there like it's just what what brought you joy at one point could also be a commonality for somebody else well in terms of uh, mental health month I mean, what sort of things are a lifeline uh, doing there and maybe sort of also share some of the local services and things like that that Lifeline are offering at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So we um, on Saturday uh, the 1st, we start our Challenge Yourself a Mental Health initiative, which, which basically is create your own something that you want to do or change for the month of October. Um, it could be one thing that you've always wanted to do or basically just wanted to change about yourself in, in that period. Or it could be a whole, I want to do something every day, um, such as exercising more or uh, practicing some yoga or reading more books or those sort of things. But to give an idea, um, there's been things over time, so people give up um, things like drinking or smoking or coffee or bit sugar, bits and pieces. We had one guy a couple of years ago who really had a massive fear of heights and he uh, really wanted to do a skydive uh, in the month. And he, all he wanted his, his friends and uh, co-workers to do was basically sponsor him for the cost of what it was. And he was going to donate that to Lifeline. And he actually did it and overcame his fear, which was, well, he did it. I don't know if he still scared of heights. I, I still would be. <laughs> but he, he certainly got out of his comfort zone and, and did something for his own mental health that had always plagued him for many years. But they're the sort of things that we just got to think about is what what is something we've always wanted to do and this uh, as much as we do this as a fundraising activity to raise money for our local services which we'll have a chat about in a second it um it, it, at the same time doesn't need to be that can just be people going out and actually doing something for themselves it's okay in life to be selfish sometimes mm. and i think everyone needs to take that with them on board and go well if i if i'm selfish with me for five seconds what would i actually do for me um and this is a good opportunity for people to see that and go well, what have i always wanted or what have i always wanted to do that's going to make me feel better so that, that that's one thing we're doing there'll be a lot of messaging and things coming out over, over mental health month with uh, a lot of our services and and i guess ways that we can uh, provide safe pathways for people there's also uh, i guess the opportunities we'll have some uh, in community chats and training etc going on um, so more than happy for people to contact uh, Lifeline and us for, for myself if they want to have a further chat about that. In terms of our services, just so people are aware, we have, we have our 13 11 14 number uh, service, um, basically, which is our telephone crisis, um, which is available seven, uh, sorry, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So you can call at any time and there'll be someone to speak to you. We also now have a tech service as well. Uh, we have an online service. Uh, we have our face-to-face -face and video counselling services we mentioned earlier in the podcast at, at, with no GP referral and at no cost as well. Um, if anybody wants further detail, please visit um, lifelinehunter.org.au um, and you'll see a list of all of our services there and, and how to get, uh, I guess, in touch with all those. Well, we'll, we'll provide that in the, in the uh, podcast description as well, those links and that further information as well. Excellent. Okay, so look, mate, thanks for your time today. We'll, uh, I, I feel like I've, I've learned a bit as well about Lifeline. Hopefully we've sort of not only sort of challenged some of the stigmas, I guess, but just opened people's eyes to, uh, we we often just think of Lifeline as, as as I touched on earlier, as something that you call as a last resort, but it's, it's so much more than that. And it's, and it's good to know that it's becoming so much more than that uh, across Australia. So I wish you all the best. Uh, we with your future endeavours. I appreciate that, Darren. And thank you so much for having us on and uh, I, I guess aiding us in the way of, of, of breaking down some of these stigmas and letting people know that Lifeline is there to be proactive and, 
and there to have a chat with anyone at any time. So those contact details again, the number 131114 for Lifeline, and you can also find more about what's happening in Mental Health Month at lifelinehunter.org.au. So I thank you once again for joining us today, and hopefully, like myself, you learn a little bit more about what Lifeline provides, and hopefully we've given you some tools, as I said at the outset, in regards of ways to look after yourself better from a mental health point of view, but also help to care and respond to others who may be struggling from time to time. And the real key point is, start to change the conversation around mental health, which is really what initiatives like Mental Health Month are all about.